Hello everybody, welcome back to another fantastic edition of Hard in the Paint podcast, the NBA podcast where we ask the hard questions about the NBA. I am your host Matt, again joining me is Michael, and today on the ticket we are talking about the most recent free agency trades and decisions that have gone been going down since the last time we did an episode. It's been it's been a little while, but uh we got Kawhi Leonard, DeMar DeRozan, Carmelo, Kevin Love, Marcus Smart, Clint Capella, and Michael Beasley to line the ticket today. But before we get into that, we'd like to give a special shout out to our sponsors of this episode, Bud Light. So you might know Bud Light for their famous beer and other alcoholic beverages. Uh, of course, the Anheuser-Busch Company headquartered in St. Louis. But did you know that they also make Bud Light Platinum, the triple filtered version of America's favorite alcoholic beverage? With a 6% alcohol per volume, it's a beautiful light beer. It comes in a wonderful blue glass bottle, a nice twist off cap, so even you and your weakest friends can open up the top and enjoy yourself a nice cold beverage. So head on down to your local grocery store and enjoy a Bud Light Platinum. And now let's talk about Kawhi Leonard and DeMar DeRozan in the probably the blockbuster trade of the summer. So Mr. Kawhi himself is on his way to Toronto with his best friend Danny Green in exchange for DeMar DeRozan, Jakob Pertle, and a 2019 pick. So Michael, give us the breakdown here. What is going on? I think the Kawhisis is over in San Antonio. We got a trade of all-stars, all NBA players uh, went healthy. And it looks like, you know, Toronto taking a gamble by picking Kawhi for the one year. Um, Also picking up Danny Green, kind of interesting. Uh, Spurs aren't ready to rebuild. More about the reload, it seems, with. DeRozan and the young guy Portal and the 2019 pick, which uh, I don't remember the exact restrictions on that pick. Um, I think it's something like a protected top 20, and then if it falls out of that, it's like a 20, it's like two second round picks or something along those lines. Uh, so, what's your first reaction to this trade? Because it happened at like like four or five in the morning, some some ridiculous time. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of memes going around saying, you know, Kawhi's like, man, I want to go to L.A. And Pop's like, what? You said L.A.? How about Siberia? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> uh, a, lot, a lot of that going around. But honestly, I think it's actually not that awful of a trade for both sides. I think, I think DeRozan is pretty solid for what San Antonio needs right now. They are definitely losing a big scoring punch with Kawhi gone tony parker gone obviously manu's another year older they really need that guard to pair with aldridge now and you know they didn't have Kawhi last year so literally anything's an upgrade from having a non-existent player Uh, i think losing danny green's a little bit of some hard medicine to take Uh, he's kind of a fan favorite over there after those couple of championships against miami um Really just kind of a solid all-around person, minus his uh, college history, of course. 
And then for Toronto, it kind of makes sense that you want Kawhi. Uh, you know, Toronto was a little bit known more as a defensive team, but then these last two years, they kind of re-geared into offense. And this, especially this past year, they just said, screw with the defense, we'll play offense the whole game. So they kind of need a defensive anchor. Kawhi can supply that if he plays, which is still a very questionable decision. Even though the the Toronto staff and the Spurs camp have recently said that he looks healthy and he looks like he's ready to play. And then Jakob Pertl, a pretty high pick from not too long ago in the draft. Uh, kind of got logjammed behind Valanchunas, I think. And, you know, he's an international guy, so he gets my thumbs up for the Spurs. Is this one of the rare trades, star-for-star uh, star trades, where both teams pretty much come out of it doing well. Um, and as we saw with like IT4 and Kyrie last year, typically when you do this star for star kind of trade, one team clearly wins. Yeah, that's a tough one. It's, it's really hard to tell now whether or not it's a good trade. I think right now I'd have to say the Spurs won, mostly because they traded their starting shooting guard and a non-existent player for two players. So they're getting a two for one essentially. However, why does play, you know, he's just, he's right up there, like top five in the league. Um, yeah. I mean, San Antonio ceiling is clearly diminished by trading away Kawhi and Toronto you know, maybe with that backcourt of DeRozan and Lowry and Dwayne Casey as their coach, maybe they hit ceiling, and so this is them trying to go up to the next level, um, crash through into the NBA Finals, maybe. Yeah, it's you know, a very, LeBron very, yeah, very high variance play from Toronto. They're taking a big gamble here. No more DeRozan, who's been kind of your steady franchise guy on offense for ever since Rudy Gay was there, which is a cool reunion, I guess, with Rudy Gay <laughs> in San Antonio. But they also have a new head coach over in Toronto. And so it's it's like, okay, your 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 kryptonite has left your conference, but you've got Boston now, who is definitely a superpower, as well as like Philly and Indiana. So it's like Maybe you don't have this window that you think you have. Maybe maybe somebody kind of was like, oh, we're going to go with the plan that we would have taken if this didn't happen. You know, it's, it seems like it's almost too little too late. Yeah, it seems kind of like a really slow breakup of that team. Dwayne Casey was obviously the first piece. DeRozan is probably piece number two. Um... Don't know what Lowry's contract is off the top of my head, but I might. I mean, my guess is probably one or two more years, maybe. Serge Ibaka, Valanchunas. You know, I think they're there for another one or two years. Um, obviously, Nick Nurse is a young guy, coaching, um, believes in the analytics. You obviously got that core of like young guys like Fred Van Vliet and. OG, Anubi. Um, so maybe this is, you know, Toronto's sort of 
trying to dissolve the team that they have and re-gear for the future because they probably know chances of winning the title this year pretty much zero with Golden State and maybe the year after that Boston is still probably the you know kings of the east um, the gatekeepers really maybe this is Toronto kind of trying to buy some time Regear, figure out what the landscape of the NBA is. Maybe make a move in 2019 um, during that loaded free agency class. Or this is them, you know, just trying to make a one-year, let's go for it, kind of Houston-style um, cash in and see if we can win the jackpot, basically. There's a secret idea here that maybe... Maybe Drake was the deal maker here. <laughs> and we know so Kawhi. <laughs> Kawhi is a Jordan guy, and he's not really yes. had his own versions of shoes yet. And of well, course, actually, I think uh, Jordan Brand are going to drop. They're going to let the contract with Kawhi run out. So he'll actually be a uh, sneaker free agent. Really? Okay. Yes. That is a new wrinkle for me. So uh, Kawhi, I think, wants the big money, but without having the big negativity that it comes with. Uh, from at least what his camp sounds like, I know there's a lot of voices coming out of there, left, right, and center. But Toronto is probably a pretty good place to get some sneaker deal action going, especially with Drake there. Drake can hook you up, man. He's got his own sneakers. You know, if he wears those on a dang concert tour, that's a great way to promote some some sneakers. Yeah, I, I I really want to believe that Drake has a lot to do with this. But I feel like Kawhi is more of a Kendrick Lamar kind of guy. Mm. And Kendrick Lamar, that's Compton. That's L.A. You know, uh, it may not be the Lakers, but maybe the Clippers. You know, I mean, is, is Kawhi still on this Toronto team in February? You know, I mean, if you're Philly and you're the... Let's say they're the number two team in the East. You know, is Philly willing to make a trade in February to get Kawhi? Maybe that's enough to put them over the over Boston and get to the finals. Yeah, it all depends on. For this is kind of a one-year rental. Uh, a lot of people are comparing it to Paul George one-year rental. So Toronto's like, okay, maybe we can convince him to stay somehow. Well, admit Toronto's a pretty nice place, but they have. Uh, a substantial tax rate increase from San Antonio. Mm, yep. <laughs> uh, it's much colder there, and you do not have uh, the beach that L.A. would provide. So you've got a lot of negatives going for you just to live there, uh, let alone... You also have Kyle Lowry. Yeah, you've got to deal with Fat Lowry. You're, all your family is half a country and a half away. Uh, so this is definitely could seem to me like... Hey, if this doesn't work out by February, we'll freaking dump him while he's still playing. And hopefully you get some trade action going. I don't see a way that Toronto gets him, you know, there's this whole don't trade your star to the same conference thing. I think Toronto will adhere to that in this case if they're trading Kawhi, let alone DeRozan, which they have proven once already. Yeah, I think the Clippers would be an interesting uh, team to try and trade for Kawhi because they know he wants to be in L.A., uh, obviously, with LeBron in the Lakers, I mean, the shine of LA is on that team, so it kind of takes Kawhi out of the spotlight a little bit. 
they have decent trade assets out there in Clippers. You know, um, SGA who did, who they just drafted, Bob Mute who may be kind of interesting send over. Um, pretty much that entire guard position is just log jammed. Um, Lou Williams. So maybe, you know, Clippers might become kind of interesting in February. You know, maybe they're not really making the playoffs and they're looking for the future and maybe try to steal, you know, kind of pull the rug out under the Lakers. It's a so, very real possibility. I would agree with that. So the Lakers don't have Paul George and they don't have Kawhi this uh, upcoming season uh, as of right now. So, you know, what's kind of the mentality for the Lakers? Like, everyone kind of expected LeBron to go there with another guy. Well, he did go there with another guy. He went there with (laughs) another guy called Michael Beasley from New York. (laughs) The fucking 10% of 10% of my brain, pot smoking, you know, (laughs) I'm only offense dude of the century. So I don't want to hear your argument right now. I think you're you're disrespecting my boy Michael Beasley here. Uh, You know, have have, have the Lakers, you know, has Magic failed to try and reload the Lakers into something? Yes, but... He's got one more year. As he said, if I can't rebuild this team in two years, I'm going to fire myself. I'm holding him to that. So he's got next summer, and then he's out. Um, I mean, the flip side is by not dealing for Kawhi, they've kept their young core. Uh, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Cal Kuzma, Josh Hart, Summer League MVP. Um, and they can kind of view Kawhi, you know, on the other side of the conference, so he's not actually playing against them. They can basically see if, you know, is he healthy again? Is he only 85% of what he was? And then maybe try and make a run at him in 2019 just on outright free agency. Um, if he does get dealt to the Clippers, you know, maybe they change their minds and look to go after maybe Jimmy Butler or Clay Thompson, Kemba. You know, a few other guys out there in the 2019 class. So it's a, it's the biggest tryout season that those rookies have ever had because that will definitely determine who is staying, who's gone next year. Yeah, I mean, you've got a really weird mix of a young core and some really edgy veterans. Maybe let's put it that way. Um, so it'll be kind of interesting. Uh, in San Antonio, so Kawhi's gone, Tony Parker's gone. Manu Ginobili is the last remaining spur, I I think, on that 2014 championship team. Oh, maybe Patty Mills. Yeah, but are we counting Patty? Manu's not a part of the triangle there. Yeah, I mean, in terms of that, you know, the the big names, I mean, who would have guessed that Manu Ginobili would have been the last spur? I kind of thought he'd be the first one to retire six years ago, but... Man, I can't believe he's still playing... You know, what can we expect uh, in the Spurs? They have LaMarcus and they have DeRozan, both guys who pretty much thrive in the middle in, uh, you know, in a environment of the NBA where three-point shooting has really become the key, the, the trend, the gimmick. 
Well, I think they are adhering to the good old Dallas philosophy of you got to zag whenever everyone else is zigging, <laughs> you, you know. So they are definitely incorporating that mid-range game, a little bit of playmaking, some good old, you know, maybe they'll freaking run triangle. I mean, dear God, that'd be insane. But, uh, you know, they got they even drafted Lonnie Walker, which is a potential sleeper pick draft in terms of upside. Especially yeah. I mean, with, with that bench role, because I think they're probably going to, he's going to get some good minutes, I would expect. Yeah, and it's, you know, the Spurs have now two of the top 15 guys, if you go by all NBA, right? Um, LMA and uh, DeRozan were both selected to all NBA last season. Spurs, maybe, you know good spot houston really hasn't improved um okc don't really know what to expect with them with mellow being gone you know utah may be good but maybe they're you know maybe not quite western conference good so maybe san antonio could be the sneaky number two best team in the west this is a great year for a good veteran team you kind of go under the radar a little bit and swipe up a Western Conference Finals or maybe a championship run because you've got some, you also got some turmoil in the Golden State camp. Maybe some boogie chemistry disaster is waiting to happen there. Uh, you've also got, you know, Portland's obviously feeling in a weird spot and New Orleans is not in a great spot either. And even the Nuggets are are not really a thing, and neither are the Timberwolves. So it's like you've got this weird, you know, maybe you say, oh, all these cards can't fall the right way, but it's not unbelievable at this rate. Yeah, I think right now in the West you have three different divisions. There's Golden State, there are the Kings, and then there's everybody else. So it's not inconceivable that the Spurs could rise out of that, especially with Pop probably on his last few years of coaching. Um, I think he said by 2020 he wants to be done. That really only gives him two years. Um, DeRozan is about, I think, 28 or so. Uh, I think LMA is a little bit older, over 30. So maybe you can kind of catch these guys at the right you know, age, you know, right at that perfect time to just sneak through. I wouldn't put them at title contenders or title favorites or anything like that, but Spurs, you know, pretty interesting. Um, Definitely could be a, like a sneaky good fourth seed in the playoffs somewhere. Yeah, and maybe, you know, kind of doubling down on the mid-range is the way to beat Golden State. You know, you just hit them down low where... They don't really have an interior presence on that team. Um, all right, one last uh, question, and then we'll move on to some other signings. Was DeMar DeRozan the greatest Raptor? Absolutely not. And really? Vince Carter is the greatest Raptor of all time. Was Vince really the greatest Raptor, though? Absolutely. Or we just hype this up in our heads? Uh... Uh, there's a pretty good case that DeMar DeRozan might be a better Raptor. Um, put up about 27, 5, and 5 last season. All NBA, second team. 
played pretty well in the All-Star game, has taken Toronto to the conference finals, taken them to a number one seed. And, you know, maybe if LeBron wasn't in the conference the last four years, Toronto might have a title. I don't know if Vince ever took them that far. That's a good point, but... If you're if you're saying the best player, I think Vince is a better player than DeRozan, right? Prime for prime. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if we ever really saw, like the best Vince we could have ever seen. I think DeRozan, we're we're seeing a guy who is at like ninety ninety five percent of his potential. I don't know if we ever really saw that with Vince. I'm not convinced I ever saw you know, a, a show-stopping Vince performance for consistently, like, for a whole season or through a playoff run. Speaking of showstoppers, uh, our favorite showstopper here on the Heart in the Paint podcast, <laughs> Carmelo Anthony, uh, got bought out to Atlanta and then got dumped over to Houston. So he's making some big money this year with his $28 million buyout, and then he's getting to Houston for $2.4 million for one year. Uh, so very interesting circuit that Melo is running right now, but uh, he's definitely in their rotation for sure. But I don't know where Daryl Morey was thinking about his analytics on this one. What do you, what do you think? ISO and three point shooting. I I, I guess they're just gonna go down and sacrifice defense. I mean, if Houston and Golden State end up being in the conference finals, Melo has to play at the four, which would be against Durant? Yeah, that's not a good matchup. Uh, (laughs) I don't don't know what to do with that. (laughs) I mean, the problem is is, uh, P.J. Tucker, who played so well at the small ball five, I mean, he's basically their four. Because you'd have to give Clint Capella your five, assuming they still resign him, which they haven't done so far. But uh, PJ Tucker at your four, who at least gives you rebounding on defense. But then he's going to have to split minutes with Mello. And I don't know what Mello's ego is right now. Um, So is this a good move by Houston, who, you know, so far have lost Trevor Reza to Phoenix and Maba Mute? To the Clippers, is this gonna keep Houston kind of the closest contender to? So uh, there's a lot of problems with Carmelo right now. Of course, one is getting old, can't play defense according to uh, history. His three-point shot is <laughs> failing him. His his going to the rim is failing him. Uh, that mid-range post-up game. Two dribble game is not really a thing right now. Uh, so Houston, what do they need? Well, they need three-point shooting, according to Daryl Morey. They need three-point shooting and layups. Carmelo, who has just had probably two of his worst years in both of those categories, is now on that team. Additionally, that team wants some perimeter defenders, preferably 6'8 and above. Carmelo fits the size, but does not fit the defensive ability. As we know, unless he's wearing a hoodie. Therefore, this is probably not a great trade for Houston. However, 
let's take a look at the flip side of the coin here where OKC is getting Dennis Schroeder, uh, which is potentially a sixth man of the year candidate in my eyes. However, I am not a big Dennis Schroeder fan. According to some inside sources at the Atlanta area, that dude is not the greatest guy in the locker room from what I can tell. He's just just not, not a fun guy to be around, uh, points the finger at a lot of guys. Uh, and, to be fair, Atlanta's had Dwight and Josh Smith. So... Of, um, Schroeder's still a pretty young guy, though. I mean, he's only about twenty-three, I think, or twenty-four. He hasn't hit his prime yet. Um, you know, maybe he's a decent trade asset. They they can move at OKC. Um, he doesn't really fit the rest of that squad. When you think about guys who are a bit um, who have like length, right? The rest of that team is just full of length at Westbrook, PG. Jeremy Grant, Stephen Adams, um, and then who, I don't remember who they drafted, but uh, you know, is Schroeder just kind of going to be this like Reggie Jackson, Victor Oladipo, you know, re- repeat, or is this actually going to help? I mean, what's how are Mel- how are Schroeder and Westbrook going to mesh? This is a problem in my eyes, and that is that Westbrook is the greatest teammate Ennis Canner has ever had. So according to his judgment, Westbrook will be a great teammate to Schroeder. However, uh, Schroeder himself is, um, I feel like he's going to be like if they had a a starter-level Reggie Jackson that got shipped over to that team. He's going to want some of those primary minutes from what I would expect. So maybe, hey, maybe they're thinking some weird smaller lineup where it's like they play Schroeder and Westbrook together, which would be real interesting. Um, but when maybe it comes they, to, uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe they kind of harken back to what happened when they had Harden, where you put Harden at the point, uh, and you move, you slide Westbrook over the two. So essentially, Westbrook is off the ball. Schroeder is a handler. Uh, maybe you focus on some cuts and some motion in the offense. Yeah, I would love to see Westbrook off a screen. However, I'm not confident in his catch and shoot three or two shot ability. I'd almost rather see like some guard guard post up with him. Uh, Westbrook is actually not a bad. Uh, so from three, I think he's hitting about 34, 35%, which is not bad considering the amount of shots that he takes. Um, so I think actually Westbrook, if he gave up the ball, this could kind of work. I just don't know if he's willing to do that on this team. The one thing I will say, though, and maybe it's questionable, maybe it's not, but... Is this team, which I, mean, I don't even know why I'm phrasing this as a question, but this team is better than last <laughs> year's team right now. Yeah, no Mello. That's that's kind of sad. I'm I'm feeling bad for our boy Carmelo here, a heart in the paint podcast favorite of the day. Um, you know what what a fall from greatness. You know to come from college national championship all the way to vet minimum deal with Houston. Wow. 
Yeah, but I mean, he's also played 15 years. I mean, he's played the exact same amount as LeBron and Wade. So, and I mean, one more year than Dwight. And it's like, you know, Wade, pretty, pretty okay. I mean, actually, I guess better, better than what we thought in terms of last season. Uh, Wade, especially when he was back in Miami. And then double-double. Um, obviously, LeBron is LeBron. But maybe this is a good spot for Melo. You know, he's got his banana boat brother with uh, Chris Paul. And one thing we do know with Melo is that his best basketball has actually not been in the NBA, but as part of Team USA, where the teams are always basically loaded with talent. So maybe by throwing Harden and CP3 and Capella and, you know, Melo, you know, has enough other guys to really rely on. Maybe it'll pan out. Maybe we'll see a better mellow. This is what I hope for. I hope that this kind of hard and fast system that's a little more willing to give up the ball to a shooter uh, might be conducive to maybe a better statistical season for mellow. But I think the other good side is, is now he's doesn't have this awful contract on his back. So next year he can go join his buddy LeBron in LA. Ooh, that's kind of interesting. You know, the other kind of side of this is you have Mike D'Antoni as a coach. Is this going to be like a Kobe, Nash, Dwight 2.0 kind of situation? You know, Chris Paul's 33. Carmelo's like 34, 35. I mean, is this, you know, you got good stars, but maybe they're too old to really work in Mike, a Mike D'Antoni offense. That's a good point. It does feel similar. However, I will say that Harden is still a really good player. Like the Kobe Nash Dwight thing was like everybody was, you know, Kobe was a couple years late. Nash was obviously on his last leg. Dwight had no vertebra left. So, you know, in this case, you still got the MVP of the league on your team. You know, the guy putting up 20 and 20 every night type deal. And sure, he might gas you out in the playoffs because you run a very inefficient system, but you've got probably one of the, one of the players everybody wants to play with. It seems like, if for being a shooter at least. Um, so speaking so, of players everybody wants to play with, LeBron's favorite Cleveland teammate, Kevin Love, is uh, re-upping in Cleveland for a four-year extension. Uh, it's it's one hundred forty-five million five-year deal now when i first saw this deal i was a little bit surprised uh because i figured cleveland would try and blow it up if lebron left but little did we know that they are actually contending for the hotly contested seventh seed in the eastern conference right now yes uh is this the right move for kevin love it is absolutely not the right move for kevin love uh i don't I think it might be the right move for the Cavs, but I think it might be the wrong move for Kevin Love. And here's my reason for that is maybe the Cavs are like, all right, we're going to retool our offense now that we don't have LeBron bogging us down with how he wants to play. We've got a good a good uh, rookie point guard now, Colin Sexton. We've still got some good parts and pieces here and there. Uh, we got Channing Fry back, so that's great. Um but we're going to make Kevin Love our offensive centerpiece, and he's going to put up some Minnesota-type numbers. 
and he's going to have this monster contract. And you know what that means? In two years, we're going to trade his ass to get some good ass <laughs> picks from people. And they're going to get a old Kevin Love with some hidden injuries, and we're going to try and fleece the league. That's what I feel like. Yeah, I do not like this move for Kevin. Um, he had one year left on his contract, and I think he should have just played it and then go into that 2019 uh, summer free agency period where the cap increases. You have about 11 to 12 teams that will have readily available cap space um, in the neighborhood of about 22 to 34 million. You got plenty of guys to really go around so you can make your money Kevin love probably go to a better situation you know a team that's contending for the playoffs i mean who wouldn't want kevin love he's still a top you know four guy in the league or not like four in terms of number four but like position four um as a rebounder outlet guy can't really play that much defense but that's fine neither can like two-thirds of the league but yeah, this this does kind of leave all the leverage with the Cleveland front office where they can deal Kevin Love maybe after one or two years if they're not really making the progress they would like um, in terms of playoff positioning. Not unsimilar to what Orlando have done with Aaron Gordon, I think. So Kevin Love in Cleveland... I think they're going to be a playoff team. I think they're going to be in that kind of six to eight sort of range. It'll but depend on how good Ty Lue is coaching without LeBron. Because that is a question yet to be answered. Yeah, I mean, you know, if Kevin Love, you know, what what does he really gain by signing this massive extension is... He's had some injury problems since he's been in Cleveland. Um, and so maybe that kind of factors into it. But he's also a completely different type of player in that he his three-point shooting has improved and he's slimmed down a lot. You know, he's kind of adapted himself to the pace and space, even though he doesn't really have the athleticism, but Who knows? Maybe Kevin Love, a Larry Nash Jr. Maybe that'll end up being a pretty good combo in Cleveland. Speaking of combos, Marcus Smart has re rejoined the already stacked Boston backcourt. $52 million for four-year deal. And it is probably... Everyone, I think, assumed Boston would keep him somehow, but I think our... Magnificent Puppet Master Danny Ainge had him out there for some potential trade bait somehow. So it's a sign that Boston did not acquire somebody, I think, that Marcus Smart is still with that team. Especially with, you know, the growth of Terry Rozier. Obviously Kyrie coming back. Uh, Gordon Hayward coming back. You kind of have this logjam of small forwards now. So Marcus Smart not being... A knockdown three-point shooter, a little more of your kind of glue-and-two guy. So, uh, overall, I'd say the impression is this guy will potentially win you a playoff game off of his passion and dirty work type deal. Um, definitely a lunch pill kind of guy. 
great great guy to match up with Golden State with, I think. Just always come come swinging type deal. Um, and they're really kind of... I think he's a good chemistry guy. and Maybe we don't know that for sure, but there might be something to do with it in there. So it's good for Boston's championship run that they kept him. Uh, unfortunately, this is bad for everyone else in the East. But overall, I think it's a good signing. Not too much money, not too little. So... Yeah, I think Boston did well to keep their perimeter defensive guy. He's a guy who can guard the two, the three, and the four. Gives them a lot of versatility, especially in that second rotation. Now, Boston, you know, have some interesting lineups, right? I mean, I would expect their starting lineup to be Kyrie, Hayward, Tatum, Brown, Horford. And then you throw in Terry Rogier, Marcus Smart, uh, who's a big guy, Baines. Maybe a little bit of Robert Williams. And you've basically got two to three like really solid, versatile players all game, which maybe should make them the best contender against Golden State. What do you think? They have the most bodies to play against Golden State. You know, it'll come down to. Boston can run like a 10-man rotation, whereas the other team only runs a 7-man. And that's a huge deal when you're talking about your third game 7. You've already played, you know, uh, what is that, 20 other playoff games, a long-ass season. It's a big deal. Yeah, and I think if you, you know, you kind of minimize that damage when you have Kyrie and Terry Rozier um, switching off in terms of minutes of... Golden State is going to switch the ball onto the worst defender, which would obviously be Kyrie or Terry Rozier. If you have Marcus Smart out there, I mean, that buys you. You know, maybe maybe it saves you a couple of buckets, which is, you know, equivalent to him hitting some threes on the other end. Um, he's a pretty tenacious rebounder. Kind of has that kind of P.J. Tucker kind of vibe. I and mean, P.J. Tucker killed Golden State. So maybe that's what Boston is hoping for. Should the Lakers have made a move on Marcus Smart, though? No, I don't think so. They got uh, they already got too many cooks in the kitchen, too many other kind of egos going on there. Maybe it would have been great from the perspective of uh, we're going to take from a good team just for our own skin, but you got to remember, it's the Lakers in Boston. Those guys aren't going to trade with each other. <laughs> I don't know, man. Shaq played for both teams. <laughs> yeah, uh, man, he's just a right. rainbow. All right, so and who so the last couple guys, uh, Montrez Harrell uh, with the Clippers, $12 million over two years. Alex Len, Atlanta, $8.5 over two years. And Clint Capella still hasn't re-signed with Houston. Um, I believe negotiations broke down after a $85 million deal. Um, I know Capella's really gunning for that $100 million um, kind of max out contract so you know we have some big guys here Clint Capella Montrezl Harrell Alex Len what's the market for a big guy who can basically only play at the five these guys are pretty unique in that they have to play the five they can't dribble the ball you know they some of them have a decent post-up game others of them are a little more pick and roll oriented none of them can really shoot that well so I think this is 
I think one, Clint Capel is asking too much money because he wouldn't be anywhere where he is today without Harden feeding him so many fucking open shots. It's a lot like, you know, um, you know, uh, John Wall making any center in the Wizards territory better just because he's feeding the big man all day long. And some people say Montrez Harrell might be the best one of the better players out of these three. He's got some uh, pretty above-average post-up game, good pick-and-roll IQ, that kind of stuff. Alex Len, I think most people have considered a bust at this point. He was kind of that, like, oh, he's two years away from being a good guy, but just hasn't really seen any market improvement here over the past year or so. Maybe it's a steal for Atlanta. I mean, they're already trying to tank. Why not tank some more? Maybe if you get a good prospect <laughs> out of it, why not? Clippers... Uh, continuity keep I think 12 I mean, for 2 is a little too much yeah there's no, no DeAndre. DeAndre that's a good point they need a they need a guy to fill his shoes but you got you know Kendrick Perkins is a free agent why not play him because he's super old <laughs> is your team not super old and tanking you got Lou Williams he's like 36 right I guess, but Lou Williams is six man of the year. I mean, we're talking about high production. Clint Capella, um, is he going to be on the Rockets? If the Rockets lose him, how much do they take a hit in trying to knock off Golden State? The only way this works out good for the Rockets is if they can get him for $85 million. Because they get him for $100 million, they're absolutely fucked when it comes to getting anybody new and having cap space for next year. It basically closes their title envelope. They lose him, it also closes their title envelope because then they'd have to get a equivalent big man somehow, and I'm not seeing any resources left there. So uh, he's a very important player when it comes to that Golden State matchup, and I think they realize that, but... Ooh, it's hard to give him $100 million. It just does not sit good with me. So, you know, most of the big names in free agency have basically been dealt now. What's, uh, what's your takeaway? Free agency. Um, whether that's biggest signing, most surprising signing. The best ones that we learned. The best two, I think. Oh, the top three are obviously Kawhi and DeRozan. Paul George Stang, LeBron LA. I think the sneaky big one is Rondo Cousins leaving the Pelicans because I think those guys were about to have something real fucking special down there, and I'm upset they left. I think the one thing we have left to figure out is if something goes down with the Timberwolves drama because we know those guys don't like playing with each other. They keep on ragging on each other on social media and whatnot, so I'm waiting for something to go down. Yeah, you got Wiggins on a big contract. Jimmy Butler is obviously still looking for a big contract. And they could offer an extension a big extension to Cat. And you still got Tibbs as your coach and GM. So that makes all that much sense in Minnesota land. All right, well, that is uh, that is our major trade talk for this week of Hard in the Paint podcast. However, there is the bonus round coming up. Uh, so the, for our overtime bonus round, extra special segment, uh, we are proud to inform you that the new rumor going around the NBA is that the 2022 draft will be the first 
uh, draft where they will remove the one and done rule. So we will have a mixture of high school and college players in that draft, which I believe teams are trying to prepare for even this very day. There was some talk about a month ago, it'd be a 2021. Well, 2022 is even better because then Bronny will be one year older and have even a higher chance to play with LeBron at some point. Um, and heck, we might even see uh, Dwayne Wade's kid, uh, Dwight Howard's got a kid, uh, Scotty Pippen. Yeah, Scotty's got a kid. Shaq's got a kid. A lot of these guys have kids that are actually playing against each other in the AAU right now, which is kind of funny. And they're really good. And they haven't made they're a super really team yet. Well, <laughs> getting close. <laughs> They'll orchestrate draft night into team collaboration. Secondly... I went last week to go see the Uncle Drew movie, and boy was I unimpressed. <laughs> so, I haven't, I don't go to the movies very often, as you know. Uh, the last time I went to the movie was, of course, when we talked about Jurassic World, and before that, it was probably the last Star Wars movie. Gross. Uh, so, let, let's just break down Uncle Drew here for a second. So, the general gist of the story is there's this. Uh, obviously, a lot of the people are black, so I'm just going to say black. So, black dude, uh, he's kind of a hustler type guy. Uh, he wants to put a team together for this big Rucker Park anniversary tournament. And there's $100,000 on the line. And he racks up some debts to the star, the starest of the star players that's going to be on his team. Uh, I believe it's Aaron Gordon, actually, is this, like, bad guy star player. <laughs> And of course, this guy has a longtime childhood rival that is probably one of my favorite actors in the movie. His character is kind of funny and well done. It's uh, the white guy who's kind of the bad coach. And he steals the star player from, from our protagonist. And then our protagonist has lost all of his money because he invested in his team and his star. He lost his star, he lost his house, he lost his girlfriend, and he's going to the barber shop and the barbers tell him the legend of Uncle Drew. And when our hero is at his wits and ends, he stumbles upon Uncle Drew playing a guy in one of the local parks. And somehow uh, they band join forces and Uncle Drew uh, then convinces our hero to go find his old team again and so they drive across the country and find old teammates such as Chris Weber uh, Nate Robinson Reggie Miller uh, and Shaquille O'Neal and uh, even, even one or two other folks in there and of course, everybody's, you know, Uncle Drew is obviously Kyrie Irving in full old man makeup. So all these guys are got prosthetic out with gray hair and baggy skin and stuff. It's pretty great. And so they reunite this team together. They get back to Rucker. They start playing games. They start winning. Uh, everything seems to be going surprisingly smoothing. And then... In the last game, uh, or no, the game before the last game, 
uh, Shaq's character gets a heart attack on screen. <laughs> and so he is rushed to the hospital. I'm trying to imagine Shaq having a heart attack. I'm trying to imagine Shaq trying to act out a heart attack. So he goes to the hospital, <laughs> and then everybody's trying to rally around him. And there's some there's some secret beef between Shaq's character and Kyrie's character. Some ancient history of why their team broke up so long ago. But the uh, one of my problems with the movie is they don't deep dive into it at all. Like there's no freaking flashback sequence or anything. Kind of frustrating. But anyways, so Shaq's character goes down. Everybody rallies around him, and they're like, "Oh man, who's gonna play?" And so they pick. Uh, Chris Webber's wife, who in this movie is Lisa Leslie, she plays for a bit, and then uh, something else happens, and then our main hero has to join the join. Um, I think it's I think it's Reggie and the the Aaron Gordon character. They like collide and they both get concussions, and so both teams are out of players, and both the coaches have to play. And of course, it's this childhood rivalry with like two minutes left between our hero and the villain. And our hero makes this redemption shot that he missed twenty years ago and wins the Rucker Championship, and they go on to live a happy ever life. And that's the basis of the movie. So obviously, pretty cut, copy and paste movie style. However. Uh, there's a and uh, there's a good amount of little basketball tidbits from the players' jokes uh, that you wouldn't know unless it's the players, of course. Like uh, there's a good Reggie Miller joke. Um, the freaking best one is uh, at the end of the game, that championship game. Obviously, they make a joke about Chris Webber taking a timeout. And it's, uh, <laughs> I was like, oh man, you had to do it oh, like that. Man. Oh, so bad. Uh, but there's like a couple things where it's like, Shaq makes a Kobe joke here and there. Kyrie, I think, makes a LeBron joke once. Uh, Nate's character doesn't even talk at all, which is a little, a little sad, but. Um... So, do you, so I, I've got some rapid fire questions here for you. Uh, do you think the beef between Shaq's character and Kyrie's character is about the triangle offense and the fact that Shaq really wants to run it and Kyrie is clearly not in favor, would rather go to a, uh iso hero ball type of situation? So it is a little bit of that, actually. It's a little bit of Kyrie's character is this kind of shelf, selfish guy who doesn't want to pass it to the big man. So Shaq's character gets frustrated at him and then... Uh, there's some other beef where Kyrie's character like sleeps with Shaq's character like the day before the championship back in like 1960 or whatever, and they just mm. that's kind of why their team broke up is Kyrie's character was like a huge womanizer with his teammates' wives, uh, so a lot like Tony Parker. So, so I haven't seen this movie. I've seen the trailers. One thing that really stuck out to me when I saw the trailers was. This basically seemed like the movie Grown Ups with Adam Sandler and Chris Rock, except with just exponentially better basketball. Is it basically that? Is it basically just Grown Ups with a lot better basketball? Yes and no. So the problem <laughs> is here is 
there is barely any real basketball in the movie. It's kind of like a movie that oh, takes no. place around basketball, but basketball isn't really highlighted. Like, you never really see, like, a play being run or, like, an offensive sequence. You just kind of see, like, oh, a shot went in. Oh, he made a dunk. Oh, he crossed a guy up. It's like a, like a really, a, like, awful mixtape almost surrounding a movie. Uh, who was the best real life player turned actor? So I, I made a, I broke this down when I was watching the movie. I was like, oh man, that's a, I was surprised by him. I thought he'd be awful at that. I think my number one favorite player actor was Chris Rubber, mostly because I didn't recognize it was him until about five minutes in because like his, so his character is called Preacher. So he's like a like rural South, like you know, shaking and jiving like black preacher. So it's pretty funny to see him play that role. Uh, and the way they introduce him is kind of funny. Um, I, I, I had a hard time even recognizing it was him until about f 10, like five minutes into his role. I was like, oh, that's Chris Weber. Um, I think number two on my list is probably Kyrie's character. Um, it might be because we don't see like Kyrie's personality as much as the rest of the cast because he doesn't commentate games. He's mostly just a player, but mm -hmm. he does like a, this really like good old man voice and uh, like his 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 script is like very old man sounding. Like he doesn't say a lot of out of character things. Uh, the worst, however, in the whole movie is fucking Reggie Miller. He's the, he's the fucking worst. Like I, I, he, I, I think he was trying to sound like an old man, but you could just clearly tell it was his normal voice. I'm actually not surprised. Reggie is very annoying during commentary. Yeah. Uh, can we expect a sequel? There wasn't any cliffhanger. <laughs> there wasn't really a the the credit scenes were just like bloopers, so it wasn't really. Anything like that. And they didn't really set it up for number two. They were just like, all right, man, I'll see you next time. Or like, I'll see you do next you think, year. Do you think this may be the first movie in some sort of basketball cinematic universe featuring Space Jam 2? No, unfortunately. <laughs> I think... Uh... Oh, you know, the one... You know, the two, two other things I should say. One is the main protagonist guy isn't that awful... He just plays into like this freaking like black humor stereotype. It's like okay, all those jokes are super predictable. Uh, mm -hmm. However, the fucking love interest is actually pretty attractive. Like I'm not gonna lie, like not the not his first girlfriend, but the one he gets along the way. It's actually pretty attractive. I was like, wow, she's she's pretty hot. Is uh, this the best basketball movie? No. Space Jam is still the best, I think. Really? Uh, Space Jam? Oh, Space Jam is better than this. Let's put it that way. Like for okay. for basketball like he got He Got Game is clearly the best basketball movie. Yeah, yeah. It, this is definitely worse than that. Um, he Got Game the versus Space Jam is hard for me. The first 15 minutes of White Men Can't Jump is pretty good. That's true. Space Jam is Space definitely the top three or four i would say um is this better than star wars the last jedi no 
what? Come on. Yeah. Last Jedi was absolutely awful. Okay, I'll give it. I'll give it two knocks. One is it's got NBA jokes. Two is it's like half the time. Like the movie was like ninety minutes flat. It's like perfect. Very quick. Yeah. I mean, Last Jedi is a bloated catastrophe of a movie. Um, so last up on the docket for today is this week is Shark Week, and Shaq is hosting. Uh, but his first foray with the sharks didn't seem to go that well. A small little shark slipped in through the cage, and Shaq was up close and personal with one. May have probably freaked out a little, maybe even had a little bit of a heart attack, kind of like his character in the Uncle Drew movie. What do you think of uh, Shaq hosting Shark Week? I think Shaq Shark Week is amazing. Uh, it's great to see him do something different. And obviously he needs something to do with the NBA season kind of being dead right now. And it's great for views. Uh, Shaq getting bitten by a shark would be quite the sight. Yeah, one thing I do want to see is a Guy Fieri shark i don't know discuss like discussion or like they're hosting some kind of coordinated event between the two or guy fieri takes shack with them on one of these diners drives and dives type of things that'd be kind of fun I, w- I would i'd pay money to see that or an uncle drew sequel where uncle drew and shack have a road trip where they travel around the country trying to recruit uh, young AAU or high school players to attend their college where they're coaching. Maybe a little bit in the works. And with that, folks, we will leave you with this episode of Heart and Paint Podcast. You can find us at SoundCloud, Twitter, email at the links below. And We look forward to hearing your feedback, your comments, your suggestions, your questions, and your not complaints. Uh, Next time, of course, we'll be looking into potentially our team rankings as well as um, maybe a a sort of back on schedule thing. We've had some some weeks here with family and trips and whatnot, so trying to ring the schedule back in for you consistent viewer out there, you. And speaking of viewer, our Heart in the Paint viewer of the Fortnite this week is William Finnis. So we like to thank William Finnis for giving us his undivided support. I know he's a loyal and faithful fan that watches every NBA Heart in the Paint podcast episode. And we appreciate his support very much. With that, folks, we will leave you this week. And we will see you and talk to you and hear from you very shortly.